Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Exodus 20. We're going to continue our series this morning through the law of God, the Ten Commandments. And so we'll be this morning in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. 16. And uh, we'll be looking at the Ninth Commandment. Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You know, we have a kind of a strange relationship with lying, don't, don't we? I think for most of us, uh, if we were to ask you, what, what are some of the things that you really dislike in this life? It, it, probably one of those things would almost certainly be uh, that many of us would say we, we hate being lied to. At worst, we, we feel betrayed when somebody close to us lies to us. At, at other times, sort of the best case scenario, we simply feel duped. We feel, feel foolish. But no matter how big or small the lie is, no matter if it's a stranger or someone very close to us, we, we simply don't like it. Even as I'm talking about this, you are probably remembering times that people have lied to you, maybe somebody very close who made a promise to you or told you something that turned out not to be true. Yet this is one of those sins that, that doesn't seem for many of us to be nearly as bad from the other side of it. If we are the one committing the sin, if we're the one making uh, the lie or telling the lie or breaking the commandment, it, it really doesn't seem all that bad. When we shade the truth or, or when we tell things that are not true, uh, we really feel it's not that bad. And, and maybe, after all, we, we actually have a good, good reason. We, we have good intentions for, for telling a lie. We might even tell ourselves. But the truth is that whether you are on the giving or receiving end of a lie, it is evil and it is destructive. One of the things that we need to recognize is, is lying is something that's actually much bigger than just your personal experience of it, whether you are the one telling the lie or being uh, lied to. We go back all the way to the beginning, and, and in the beginning, the Bible says in the beginning, God was there, God existed, and God is true. One of the qualities about God uh, that really makes him good, it makes him holy, and makes him righteous, is the fact that he is truthful. God says of himself that I am not a man that I should lie. And over and over in Scripture, one of the foremost attributes that God puts out there is his faithfulness. Have I said it and will I not do it? No, when God declares something, he only speaks what is true. When God sent his son, Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, he came into this world and Jesus said about himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. We talk about the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of truth. And one of his works, one of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit is, is to give truth to humankind through the inspiration of the Word and then to guide us personally and subjectively into the truth. And when God speaks, because God is true, when God speaks, his word is true. That's why we believe in the inerrancy and the infallibility of Scripture. Because if it is the word of God, if God has spoken, God is true and his word cannot be otherwise. This is why the psalmist says, the sum of your word is truth. And when Jesus prayed for his people, he prayed that the Father would sanctify 
God's people, the followers of Jesus Christ in the truth. And Jesus said, your word is true. God, God's truthfulness is so certain and so absolute that, that his word should be trusted above and against the word of every other human being. You know, if I told you something here this morning, and, and uh, you, you would probably be inclined to believe me, uh, yeah, that, that's probably true if I came up and, and told you something, but you know, if one or two other people come and say, you know, that's not really true, uh, actually what happened was this, or really what the truth is, is, is that, uh, you would begin to doubt it. And, and if four or five people all corroborated that same message, no, what he said was not true, something else is true, you would begin to mistrust me altogether and say, I really don't believe that, that Brother Andrew was telling the truth about that. But listen, when it comes to God, the, the Bible says when he speaks, we ought to take his word at, as the truth, even if every other human being on the face of the planet said something different. Paul says in Romans 3, 4, let God be true, though every man were a liar. That's how absolute and certain God's truthfulness is. And when he created this world, God created this world to be a place of truth. He created Adam and Eve in his own image as those who had the ability to speak and to communicate. And, and in the goodness of creation before sin, before the fall, when they communicated, they spoke the truth. They spoke to God, with God, and, and to each other. And when they did that, it was the truth that they spoke. Just imagine then, for a moment, a world in which you could have total and complete trust in your fellow man. What a, what a wonderful place that would be. That's the world that God created. Imagine that, that you didn't have to second guess anyone, whether you're talking about the telemarketer or your toddler. You could trust them to speak the truth. Imagine a world in which your friends would never deceive you, your spouse would never shade the truth, people always kept promises and vows, advertising was never too good to be true, political leaders could always be trusted to keep their campaign promises, eyewitnesses always and only spoke the truth, the news media was free of spin, a world free of scammers and gimmicks and broken promises, free of slanderous lies and hurtful gossip. That is the world as God created it. But we know that sin corrupted this world. Sin corrupted this world. Satan came into the world. And, and the Bible says of Satan in John chapter 8, verse 44, that the devil does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He was the originator of the first lie. And when he came into this world, he tempted Eve through subtle deception, and she took the fruit and disobeyed God uh, through that practice of deception, through a lie. And then Adam defiantly rebelled against God and joined in with Eve in that. And ever since that moment, the goodness of God's creation, this creation that operated in, in total truthfulness, was lost. And this world has become a place of deception, hasn't it? We, we live in a world of deception. Now, we live in a place where you really have to second-guess Everyone, about what, they, what, about what they tell you. We live in a world in which your friends will deceive you. Your spouse will shade the truth. People often break promises and vows. Advertising is always too good to be true. Political leaders can 
let's say, almost never, probably never be trusted to keep their campaign promises. Eyewitnesses often distort the truth. The, the news media has more spin than a tornado. It, it's a world full of scammers and gimmicks and broken promises, full of slanderous lies and hurtful gossip. And, and it makes us angry, don't we? Doesn't it? We, we get angry. As, as much as we get angry, though, when other people lie to us, as much as we decry lying politicians and telemarketers and dishonest, uh, dishonest people, service people that, that tell us things that aren't true and cheating spouses and untrustworthy friends, the, the reality is we're all guilty. We are all guilty. Uh, we're all part of the problem. We have all helped create this world of deception through, through lies, uh, and, and though our lies seem small to us and they seem excusable and they seem like, well, maybe we have a good reason, but, but do you understand when we shade the truth, when we are deceptive, we are part of the problem. We are the ones who are creating this world in which you can trust no one. We could stop and think about the many forms that, that lies take, and, and as with many of these commandments, you have to really contemplate and, and, and think about all the different ways that, that we can be deceptive in all the different ways, all the different things that are prohibited by this commandment. The, the first and most specific, if you read the commandment, is that we not bear false witness. Uh, this is really a representative sin. It's something that imp it points to an entire class of sins or a, a family of sins. And, and that's the way that many of these commands are. Uh, the, the God, in, in giving this command, sort of points to, to the biggest one, the most harmful, the, the most egregious form uh, of this category of sin. And he says, don't do that and don't do anything else that's related to that. And so he points to bearing false witness, which is uh, speaking in, in, in some kind of um, official way in, in a legal proceeding and giving false testimony, saying, yes, I saw this person do that, or, or no, they didn't do that. Uh, and that's what, first and foremost, is prohibited. But this would include any sort uh, of slander, not, not just something that would occur in, in the court of law, but something that would occur even in the court of public opinions. Slander is when we say things that are untrue about others. We can do this sometimes intentionally with malice when we want to hurt somebody. We want to use our words to sort of destroy them or to cut, down, cut them down. And so we can tell things about them that are, are not true. But we can even do this sometimes unknowingly by saying things that we're not sure about. One of the things that we need to understand about slander is that this is really an evil, evil thing. It's, it's something that, that marks you out as being godless. The one who slanders is godless. Proverbs 11.9 says, with, the mouth, uh, with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. And that's what we're really doing. When we slander, when we say things that are untrue about other people, we're really working to destroy other people. And does that remind you of anyone else? Listen, that's the primary work of Satan is to be a deceiver, a liar, as, as the Lord said in, in John chapter 8. When he speaks lies, he's speaking of his own character. He's a liar from the beginning. And, and what does he use his lies to do? He, he's the accuser of the brethren. 
He uses lies and slander to cut us down and to speak in, in ways that destroy others. And so when we do that, we're joining in the primary work of Satan himself in working to destroy other people. But this command would, would really prohibit any kind of lying, not just slander, not just lies that are directed at another person, but again, it's this whole category of sin. And in and, and case we're unsure about that, the Bible is abundantly clear that all forms of lying, all forms of deception are wrong. Proverbs chapter 12 tells us that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. And Colossians 3.9 says, do not lie to one another. That would just be a broad category of any kind of lie, any kind of deception. Think of all the ways that we lie and all the various circumstances in, in which we lie. First of all, knowingly telling someone something that's false or, or inaccurate, false or inaccurate information. You know, as much as we like to pretend like we really don't do that, I, I think if we were truthful and objective with our words, we probably would recognize we do it far more often than we would care to admit. Uh, I've, I've said before, and used this analogy, I just wonder if every time we said something that was tr untrue, if we got a text message, an alert, I, w I wonder how much our phones would be dinging. Like, ding, oh, is that a text message? No, you just told another lie. You shaded the truth again. Oh, that was an exaggeration. Uh, I, I think if, if we were to have some kind of uh, uh, notification like that, we would probably become much more aware uh, of how often we really do lie. And it just is that. We, we can make it sound there's a little white light, it was a fib, I was just trying to help that person. We can excuse it. But anytime we're, we're giving false information, it's a lie. We, we lie because we like to avoid conflict or trouble. You know, with, with our spouses, how much money did you spend? Well, it wasn't that much. It was probably just, you know, a little bit. You know, we, we shade the truth. When we do that, that's a lie. But we do it because we want to avoid conflict. Children, when your parents ask you what's going on, what happened at school, what, how are your grades, those things, you say, oh, it's okay, no, nothing's going on, everything went good at school today, those are all lies. And, and we're doing that because we want to avoid conflict, we like ease and comfort, we want to avoid that tension, and so we just say things that are not true, or we massage the truth, we twist it. We lie when we fib about small details in order to gain some advantage or, or make lies, life easier. When you are late to work because you overslept, because you didn't want to get out of bed, and then you show up at work and you tell your boss, well, you know, I just had a lot of traffic today. There, there was so much traffic, sorry, I, sorry I'm late. That's a lie. That's, that's deception. That's, that's prohibited in this. And, and so often we do these things because we just like, I, I've said it before, but it's just kind of like greasing the wheel just to make life a little bit easier, right? If I can smooth things over with my boss, if, if I can, you know, just kind of get rid of these complaints from my parents or if, if my spouse will just leave me alone about this, I, I can just twist this, I can just put a little grease on this and, and I can distort the truth and life will be much easier. We lie as well when we exaggerate the truth. We say things like, this person always does this. We do this when we're arguing, don't we? You always do this. You, you never do that, right? And when we say those things about our, our spouses or, or other people, when we embellish in that way, when we exaggerate the truth, it really is 
just a plain old lie. Second, we lie and we break this commandment when we misrepresent facts so as to lead people to believe something that is not true. So, so the first thing is just an out-and-out lie when we just say something that is objectively not true. But, but other times we can, we can sort of tell the truth, but, but kind of tell part of the truth, half of a truth, uh, one dimension of the truth. We can twist the truth a little bit uh, so that the net effect is that people walk away from this conversation believing something that is not true. Or, or, or sort of having inaccurate information. We have deceived them. We haven't overtly said something that was completely false. We say, you know, I didn't lie at all about this. No, but you still deceived by, by determining certain facts to give and other facts to withhold and how you told it and, and the details that you give. The net effect is still that that's a lie. When you lead someone to believe something that is not true by being selective, with your details. We call these half-truths, right? I mentioned politicians earlier. Politicians are masters at half-truths. This guy voted for this bill that would have given veterans better health care, but he voted against it. But they fail to mention, right, that that bill also included millions of dollars in other stuff, and uh, that he voted for another bill that actually did fund the veterans, uh, but it was another bill that didn't have all of these other things, right? But, but they don't give you all of that de- all of those details, so what do you do? You walk away from that commercial, although most of us just muted or we're not really listening, and, and we really are suspect at this point, but, uh, but we walk away, if we take their words at, at face value, we walk away believing this person on this other side really doesn't care for veterans. He doesn't want to give them health care. He doesn't want to provide for our veterans. What, what an awful thing. When that may not be the truth at all. But listen, as much as we disdain politicians for doing that, we do the very same things in our personal life. We tell people only part of the truth, and in so doing, we intentionally give them the wrong impression. Your wife asks you, or your husband, where, where have you been? What took so long? Well, I was at the store. But you leave out the detail where you went to play a few holes of golf or something like that, right? That was a little joke, a little jab at myself there. I would, I would never do that, but, but we, we do that, don't we? We, we leave out details uh, that, that we would, would lead somebody to, to believe something that is not true. We do this even in the way that we present our image, the facts that we give about ourselves. So even on social media, we present an image of ourselves, don't we? We tell you know, all the good things. We put the pictures of vacation when all the kids are sitting on the couch looking beautiful. We, we, we don't ever put the images out there where you know, we're arguing with our spouse and where we, our life is sort of falling apart. Social media thrives on presenting a certain image. Our, our resumes, we do that too. Let's leave that fact off. Let's, uh, I'm going to not mention the fact that I got fired here because I wasn't doing the job, and, uh, but I'm going to put all these accolades on there as, as well. Christians, we can be notorious for this kind of presenting an image, our Sunday best, where we, where we look like we've got everything together. We're so righteous and holy, and, and our lives are so perfect. That can be an act of deception. We can also misrepresent our, our feelings. Sometimes when we're quiet, and we give quiet assent, or 
feigned agreement. We kind of nod our head and, yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, when, when we're really not in agreement with what the person is saying. When, when we're really inwardly objecting and thinking, no, I don't agree with that. But, but we want to, again, we want to avoid conflict. We don't want to push against that. So we're like, yeah, that's, that's good. Okay, yeah, that sounds great. We do this as well when we practice uh, uh, flattery, when we flatter people. And this is really a serious sin in the Bible, to tell people things that aren't true so that they feel better about themselves than they really should. And this should not, this needs to be distinguished from encouragement. If we're encouraging someone, we're speaking the truth to them. We're not lying to them. We're not shading the truth, uh, but we're encouraging them with the truth. But, but flattery is when we're leading people to believe things or outright saying things that are not true in an attempt to make them feel better about themselves. It's a serious sin. Sometimes we flatter because we're trying to be nice to people, but that really is not helpful. It never helps anyone to believe a lie. Just think about that. If you're telling them something that isn't true, you're not helping them. You think, well, I love them too much to tell them this. No, no, no. If you love them, you will tell them the truth, right? You'll do it graciously. You'll do it kindly. You'll find other ways to build them up, but you will tell them the truth. You will never help an individual by lying to them. Lying never brings anything good about. Proverbs 29.5 says, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. It's not an act of love, even if you think it is. Worse yet, sometimes flattery is, is not an act of love at all, but it's an attempt to ma manipulate a person. If I sort of make you feel good about yourself, I can kind of manipulate you and get you to do what I want you to do. Some of you do that with your boss at work. Some of you do that with your spouse. You, you sort of tell them what they want to hear so that you can get what you want, even if what you're telling them isn't true. I saw this week a quote that I thought was so good from Thomas Sowell. He said, when you, when you want to help people, you tell them the truth. When you want to help yourself, you tell them what they want to hear. He, he put that in the context of politics, but it's the same in our personal relationship. When you want to help somebody, you tell them the truth. When you want to help yourself, you tell them what they want to hear. Flattery is a breaking of this command. But fourthly, when, when we carelessly say things, as if they're true when we're not certain that they really are true. So gossip here is what I'm talking about, and this differs from slander. Gossip and slander are different. Slander is me telling something I know that is not true. Gossip is me relaying things. There may be an element of truth to it. It may have some truth to it, but I'm not sure of the truthfulness the entirety, uh, uh, in the entirety of what I'm saying. So I'm passing along, there probably is some element of truth, but I can't be sure that everything that I'm telling this person is accurate. Gossip is sinful then, not only because it's unloving and it has the net effect of hurting others, which is in and of itself enough, that gossip would be wrong if that's all that was wrong with it, but the reality is that, that it is wrong, at least in part, uh, because at best it contains elements about which we cannot know are true. So many times we pass things along and Again, there's an element of truth, but we're giving details that we simply have not been able to, uh, to confirm, that we know that this is absolutely true in every detail. What we need to see then, thirdly this morning, is that lies harm 
my neighbor. Lies harm my neighbor. Notice the other-centeredness of this command. It doesn't just say do not lie, as if you're the only one in, in this. But do not bear false witness against your neighbor. There's an other-centeredness to this commandment. This sin has a social uh, component to it. You see, when you lie, uh, it isn't just an act between you and God. That would be enough, right? But, But there are also social implications to it. You are harming others when you speak things that are not true. First of all, with issues like gossip and slander, lies harm our neighbor's good name. Gossip and slander rob our neighbor of something that's really a priceless possession. Listen to what God says about a good name and your reputation. Proverbs 22, 1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Many of you would maybe, in a million years, you would never break into your neighbor's house and take some uh, some possession. You, would, you wouldn't steal money. You wouldn't steal silver or gold jewelry. Uh, you, would, you wouldn't do that. I was like, that is wrong. It is clearly wrong. And yet, so often, when we engage in slander or gossip, uh, we're taking something from our neighbor that is actually, the Bible says, much more valuable than money or silver or gold. We're robbing them of their good name when we slander or gossip when we bear false witness against our neighbor we're robbing them of something far greater than silver or gold one person says this so now we understand that this commandment cannot only be properly observed if our lips are truly made uh, to serve our neighbor and to safeguard his good name and prosperity so it's more than just not saying something that's true, but, but it's a positive component to it of safeguarding the good name and prosperity of our neighbor. He goes on to say this, the justice of this is quite evident. For if his good repute is more precious than any treasure, we know less wrong a man, we know less wrong a man by depriving him of his good name than by robbing him of his substance. Moreover, we sometimes do more harm to our neighbor by lying than by stealing. Yet how extraordinary it is that we have no qualms about offending in this way. Again, many of you in a million years, you you just recognize that would be so wrong for me to take something from my neighbor. But just think, when you're speaking about them in ways that you know are false or in ways that you have not verified and you don't know to be absolutely true, you are taking from them something worth more than anything they have in their bank account. What a, what a harmful thing to do to our neighbor. And that's why the catechism that Jared read earlier uh, says that this command, uh, this command requires that I not only not gossip or slander nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard, and that I do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. So there's even a, a positive component to this. I'm not, I'm not only not saying things that are false, uh, but I'm using my mouth to defend them and to defend their honor and reputation. Lies harm our neighbor as well because they aid and abet us in sinning against our, way, our neighbor in other ways. L- listen to this. If you lie, if you, if you find a lie, you almost invariably always find another sin that goes along with it. Deception is almost never alone. It's not a sin that's like a standalone sin. 
very rarely do people just lie just because they're compulsive liars and they just enjoy the act of lying. They almost always lie because there's some other sin that's accompanying that and, and they're covering for it. When you steal from your neighbor, you cover your tracks by lying. So when you steal time from your boss, you're being paid to work and you don't work like we talked about last week. And then your boss shows up and you say, why haven't you got anything done? What do you do? You lie. But why do you lie? You lie because you've already stolen time. You've already been uh, uh, ignoring what you should have been done. You've already sinned. And so now you're covering that up. Well, yeah, we had some problem and I was trying to resolve that. And so that's why it took all day and I didn't really accomplish anything. You see, we're covering up for another sin. And there's actually a vicious cycle in lying. Sin necessitates a lie. And then we lie and lying enables further sin. So I've sinned, I've done something I shouldn't do, now I've got to lie to cover that up, but as I begin to lie, now that enables me to continue to, to sin against my neighbor. This is not an act of love. Remember, the, we talked about how the law is fulfilled in the commandment to love your neighbor as you love yourself. But listen, none of us wants, want to be lied to, do we? And so if we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, we will not deceive them fourthly this morning we see that lies come from sinful motivations lie co lies come from sinful motivations why why do we lie why do we t say things that are not true well jesus is clear that that those words that are deceptive come out of our heart you know so many times people say well i said something but that's not really what I meant, that's not really descriptive of, of who I am, but Jesus says the exact opposite is actually true, and you've heard me say this before. When you act or when you say things that are sinful, that is actually exposing who you really are. And that's exactly what Jesus said when it comes to our words. Matthew 15, verse 18 says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. It comes out of the inner core of your being, which is your heart, your soul, who you are at the deepest level. What comes out of your mouth, it, it proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart come, and Jesus lists all kinds of sins, but he lists a couple in specific, specifically that, that apply to us here. Out of the heart come false witness and slander. These are what defile a person. Why do you do that? Why do you say things that are not true? Well, it comes out of your heart, and your heart is sinful. You see, there are sinful desires in your heart that produce sinful actions. It's no, you know, when you plant a seed in the ground, you're not surprised when something begins to grow, right? Why did that start to grow? Because there was a seed in the ground. Why do these sinful behaviors come out in my life? Why do I say these things? Why do I do them? Because it's in your heart, the seed of that sin is already in your heart. Well, what are these motivations? What are these seeds that produce deception and lying and bearing false witness in our lives? We could look at several of them. I'll mention them quickly. One is just greed, in, inordinate desires. We want something so badly that we're willing to lie to get it. That might be work or, or money. You might lie on your resume because you, you want, uh, you, you lie about, you know, your workplace and your experience and, and so forth because you want that job, right? You want that relationship. And so you lie to people that, that you're dating. You kind of shade and you present yourself in, in a certain way to make yourself look better. You want that house. And so on the form, you lie about your income, 
You want your own way, and so uh, you'll lie in order to get it. You, you want power. We want to be in charge, so we'll flatter other people so they'll give us what, what we want. Greed or inordinate desires are one of the, the seeds that produce deception in our life. Unbelief, that is a desire to attain things apart from God. You ever stop and think about this? Lying is always an act of unbelief. I can't tell my spouse that. She'll hate me. She'll want to divorce me. Well, do you not trust the Lord to take care of you? Do you not trust the Lord to provide for you? Do you not trust the Lord to work out the details? Well, I had to rely on my resume. I have to have work. I need that job. Do you not trust the Lord to, to provide for you? Uh, you don't ever have to lie. If you have faith in the Lord, if you trust the Lord, you can speak the truth. So one of the sinful motivations in our heart that produces deception is, is unbelief. Laziness is another one. A desire for ease or comfort. We want to avoid that conflict. We, we want to avoid the hard work of relationships. You know, if I, have, if I tell my spouse that, it's going to require all of this work and she's going to be angry and we may have to do counseling and we're going to have to work on this and I want to avoid all that. And so because I have a desire to avoid the hard work of relationships, I'm just not going to tell the truth. You see how that seed produces deception. Self-righteousness is another one. A desire to appear holier than we are. We want to cover up our sins. We want to save face. We, we want to look better than we really are in terms of spirituality or in terms of our, uh, of our righteousness. We've done something wrong, so rather than confess it, we just cover it up and we, we pretend as if it's not there. Another motivation is pride. A desire to appear uh, to, to be something that we are not. You see, we have an over-exalted, that's what pride is, an over-exalted view of ourselves, and we want other people to have the same over-exalted view of ourselves. So we tell them things about ourselves that are, are not true. You probably heard the story of the man who lied to his wife about going to school, and then Later on, it wasn't just that he had graduated from college. Now he was in medical school, and this lie just continues to build. I mean, he, it, it was elaborate, and at the end of it, uh, it was out west. I don't remember. It's been a few years ago. I'm sure you probably heard about it if you watch the news. Uh, he ended up murdering his wife because he had built this web of lies, but it, but it all began with this desire. I, I want to look better for my wife than I, what I really am. I want people to think that I'm in school. I want people to think that I'm intelligent. I want people to think that I've got a great career or that I'm, I'm on the right track. And so this lie just begins to grow. But it all began with that pride. We could go on a list for, for a mile long. But what you need to recognize, if you have an issue of shading the truth, you, you've got to get to the heart of the matter. There's some motivation, there's some sin in your heart that is leading to that deception. Fifthly, this morning, we see that lies bring God's judgment. Lies bring God's judgment. God hates lying. You know, we, again, we minimize lying. We think it's a little white lie. It's not that bad. I just kind of shaded the truth a little bit. It's, it really helps these people because it makes them feel better. It helps my marriage because we can avoid this problem. We, we come up with all of our excuses, but listen this morning. What you need to know, the God of all the universe, who is your judge, hates every one of your lies he hates them proverbs 6 16 says there are six things that the lord hates seven that are an abomination to him and a couple of the things that he mentions a lying tongue and a false witness god hates it when we sin 
And what you need to know as well is that God not only hates this sin, but that God will hold you accountable for this sin. God's not going to overlook it. He's not going to forget about it. You may have told so many lies and shaded the truth so often that, that you, you don't even remember everything that you've said. But God remembers them. Listen to Matthew 12, 36. Jesus says this, I tell you on that day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Every time you've shaded the truth, every time you have flattered somebody, every time that you've made up some false excuse, every time you've been deceptive to lead somebody to kind of believe something that really isn't true, every time you've done that, God's going to hold you accountable for that. You will give an account for every careless word. And it doesn't matter who knows it. It doesn't know, matter if it's already been exposed or if it's been hidden throughout the, the, the entirety of your life. You may go to your grave knowing that you have told certain lies and you think that you will get away with it. But listen to what it says in, Matthew, in Luke 12, 2. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. There is nothing that is covered up. There is no act of deception. There is no false word that's covered up. And okay, it's been, it's been long enough. I got away with that one. I'm good to go now. I, I can move forward. No, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. Nothing is hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. On that great day of judgment, you will give an account for every careless word, everything that was said privately, everything that no one else knows except for you. It will be exposed on the judgment day. God will judge all liars and he will condemn them. Revelation 21.8 says this, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, that is the second of death. Lies are not something that God is going to overlook. They're not something that he's going to say, well, nobody was really harmed in that lie. You did it for, for good reasons. You know, you're human. Everybody fibs a little bit. It's just a little white lie. No, no, no. God is going to hold you accountable. And listen, this is the account. This, this is the judgment on your sin. It is death. The wages of sin, the wages of your lying is death and he will hold you accountable. He's not going to sweep it under the rug or forget about it. I, I like that in, in Revelation 21, 8. My, my dad always laughs about that because he lists all of these people, but then he says, and all liars, because you, you just know that people who are deceptive and dishonest are so, so apt at being able to twist things. Well, maybe that doesn't include me. Maybe he's talking about other liars. Liars are very good at twisting words, but, but here the Lord seals the deal on that. He says, all liars will have their portion in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is not good news for us. We, we've talked about how the law has a ministry of condemnation. Paul says that in Corinthians, right? The law has a ministry of condemnation. And listen, I'm condemned this morning. I, I've, I've been a liar. I've shaded the truth. I, I've told things that, that are not right. I've led people to believe that something that really isn't true. I've done all of those things, and, and likely so have you in one form or another. The law has a ministry 
of condemnation. Paul says in Romans chapter 3 that the law is given. You remember that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world held accountable to God. That's where you and I sit this morning. Our mouth has been stopped. We're accountable to God. We're guilty. This brings us to the final point this morning and really the most dangerous thing about lies and that is that lies keep us from Christ. Lies keep us from Christ. This is the worst part about lies. We've seen that we're under God's wrath and we're under his judgment because of our deception. But lies will keep us from finding forgiveness from Christ. See, God, God's made a way for you to be forgiven, for your sins to be washed away, for you to experience forgiveness because of your lies. But, but if you continue to lie, it will keep you from Christ. You see, you cannot be given to deception and given to Christ. You cannot embrace falsehood and embrace Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to come to Christ, you must turn from your lies and you must reject falsehood. And here's where the rubber meets the road. Some of our greatest falsehoods that we tell are things that we tell ourselves. We feel some bit of conviction. We, we feel a twinge of guilt uh, about our actions. Someone maybe points out our sinful behavior. And rather than admit it, what do we do? We lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves first. We deceive ourselves. We, it's not really that bad. They're wrong about what I did. That, that really wasn't wrong. It's not really not so bad. There was an excuse af after all. I, I'm okay. I wouldn't call my behavior sin. It isn't so bad. You're making it sound worse than it really is. In my case, there was some reason for it. Listen, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. And I think God is going to be okay with me. Those are all lies that we tell ourselves to make us continue to feel comfortable in our sin. Isn't that what we do? We lie to ourselves. I'm good. I'm not that bad. I'm okay with God. Everything is good. And, and in doing that, in telling those lies to ourselves, we're able to disarm accusations from others and from our own conscience. And in this way, lying is one of the most dangerous sins because it is your deception of yourself that keeps you from running to Christ and finding forgiveness. As long as you can deceive yourself into believing that you are okay, then you'll never come to Christ for redemption and forgiveness. You see, one of the necessary requirements for you to come to Christ and receive salvation, receive forgiveness, is for you to confess your sins. That is, the word confess means to say the same thing. You must honestly and openly admit to your sins and say, yes, what God says about my actions is true. Yes, that is a sin. If we want to come to Christ, we must confess our sins. One of the primary motivations for our lives, though, is to cover up our sins and to minimize our sins. Listen this morning. If you're here this morning and you're doing that, maybe you've been making excuses. You've been lying to yourself. It, people have pointed out your sin. The Spirit of God has convicted you about your sin, but, but you've been able to twist all of it. You've been able to lie to yourself and make yourself feel pretty good about where you are. Listen to what the Apostle John says in 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, if we openly 
and honestly admit to God and to others what, what we've done is sinful. He is faithful. God's truthful. He's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This morning, if you recognize you are a sinner, you see that you've broken this commandment and you've broken the other commandments as well, and you recognize and have a desire for forgiveness from God, the first thing you've got to do is stop deceiving yourself. You've got to confess your sin. If you will do that, God is faithful. He doesn't lie. He promises to forgive you your sin. And you can take that to the bank. God always tells the truth. And that's a promise that he will keep every time. He's not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. He will forgive you if you will truthfully confess your sin and seek his grace through Christ. This morning, if the Holy Spirit has brought conviction to you of your sin and you want to confess it to God, I would encourage you to do that right now. I'm going to pray, and, and as I pray, I would encourage you to pray as well. Honestly, and, and without any excuses, confess your sins to God. Ask Him to wash away your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you to do that and to make that known this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that though your law brings condemnation, and though our mouths are stopped and we are held accountable to, God, to you, though we are condemned and worthy of eternal judgment, you have extended your grace to us through your son Jesus Christ. We praise you for the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. We, we thank you for your son who laid down his life for us to take our sin to take the condemnation that we deserve so that we could find forgiveness and be made right with you. Lord, we're liars. We confess that to you. We ask you to forgive us this morning and we pray that you would help us to be people of truth. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.